0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Yes Politics. I'm super excited for today's interview. I'm talking to somebody who I consider the ultimate activist running for office. I'm joined today by Chris Rowe, who's running for Congress in Tennessee's first district. Chris, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's definitely great to be here and actually uh, directly interact with some folks that are out there doing the fighting the good fight on the other
0: end of the spectrum. <laughs> awesome, doing doing what I can. So I read a little bit about you. I saw that you're an Air Force veteran, and that currently you studied IT and that you work in IT. But that's all I know about you from your bio. So can you tell us a little bit about who Chris Rowe is? Um. Yeah. You uh, you covered the
1: service and my actual degree. And uh, I, I work in IT is is a little bit misleading. Uh, it's my my area of expertise. It was what I got my undergrad degree in. I actually, dual majored computer information systems and information security. But um, as soon as I graduated, I got a job that was completely unrelated. I actually worked at a uh, a power plant very briefly. Made some really good money doing that. But um, it was it it was actually while I was on vacation from that job that i uh i came down here and and came for a surprise visit with my folks and um walked into my dad's work and and went to surprise him but uh that uh, that sort of backfired um, i came up behind him and and you know tapped him on the shoulder and he turned around and i felt like i was i was looking at a different man he uh he was walking with a cane he could barely talk he just had a crazy stutter and i this was all just a huge change from the man that I knew when i uh, when I was growing up and the guy that I'd seen even you know six, eight months prior to that. Um, and that was uh, that was kind of the the final deciding factor of how I decided I got into politics specifically, but um it was it was an issue that I had followed for pretty much my entire adult life uh, more than most just because it's something that i had I had been around the country enough to to really see things develop and and watch how all these different policies were affecting people all over the country and it it really started to strike home with me when i when I saw all of these individual things happening to people that I knew personally um, And during all of this, I was either serving in the military and and out there doing uh, what I felt like I needed to do to help my country as I saw things sort of start to backslide and, and people start to drive one another further and further apart. And things just started to really go downhill until, uh, 2016 when Trump got elected and things really started to go South in a big way. But, um, that's, that's the real quick and dirty version of, of who I am and how I got here.
0: Wow. That's, that's an interesting story. So you, you visited your father and saw he was in poor health and, um, that galvanized you into considering a run for office. It sounds like. Uh, yes, I mean,
1: like I said, I'd, I'd followed politics for a while, uh, and I felt like uh, it was something that I wanted to get at least somewhat active in. But uh, it, it, seeing him having that real close personal experience with somebody who had been so cheated by the system, um, after spending his entire life, you know, providing for my family and taking care of us and making sure we had a roof over our heads seeing him struggle and and have to have to continue working despite the fact that he could barely even move um, just because he was in so much pain all the time. It, uh, it, it really struck a chord and it was something that I felt an intense and immediate need to to step up and, and not just get active, but get myself involved enough to really make a change. And I felt like actually running for office myself was the answer.
0: Yeah, so I want to ask you a little later why you chose to run for this office out of all offices. But I think it's best if we take a look at this district first so people have an idea of what you're really running for and what you're up against. So join me on a little journey as we take a look at Tennessee's first congressional district. I did a little digging up here and I saw... First of all, it's about 700,000 people, which is pretty normal for a congressional district. But something that stuck out to me was it's 94% white. So this is a very homogenous district, 57% urban, 42% rural. So an interesting mix of urban and rural voters there. Um, And even more fascinating was this is a district that's been held by Republicans since 1881. 21 years after the civil war it's been held by republicans Um, and in 2016 76.7 percent of the district voted for trump trump won by 76 percent um it's listed as r plus 28 by the cook index if you guys aren't familiar out there there's the pbi The Cook Index rates districts plus um, D plus R. This is rank R plus 28, and I was blown away by that. There's only three districts in the nation that have a higher rating than this district. Three districts in the whole nation that are more Republican than this district. So, couple more facts about this. It's currently held by a guy, as Chris mentioned, Phil Rowe. He's had it for six terms. So this is one hell of an incumbent right there. He's chairman on the Veterans Affairs. Well, not chairman anymore. Now he's the ranking member of Veterans Affairs, that powerful committee. Um, And he beat his last Democratic opponent 77% to 21%. Just a bludgeoning in the district. I will note that the Democratic opponent ran unopposed in the primary. So I'm kind of curious to ask you about that. If anybody else is daring to step up to the plate where you are. Um, And in 2016, uh, Roe won by 78%. So it was a 1% change uh, from 2016. So um, though the nation seems to be shifting to the left, this district doesn't seem to have moved at all between 2016 and 2018. And finally, I'll just say that voter ID is also required. So I throw all this at you, Chris, and I ask the question, how does a Democrat win in a district like this? Well, that's, uh, that's a lot of question to unravel
1: there. So, so bear with me. And uh, <laughs> if I miss a section, uh, I'll, uh, just, just hold me to it, keep me honest, and I'll get back to it. Um, so yeah, uh, you first addressed the uh, the the issue of this district being so deeply red for so long, and that's that's absolutely true. Uh, it has been red, and I actually addressed this in my announcement speech that uh, it has been held by Republicans for over a century, which is absolutely just an enormous hill to climb. Um, but the long and the short of that is we're not going to get anywhere if we never fight for it. So somebody has got to step up and fight. And uh, I I think if there's anything that can sort of help rally Tennessee out of this, this deep red culture of hatred and, and that just spiraling downwards into deeper and deeper ignorance, it's, it's going to be somebody young, somebody that's ready to step up and, and call out the lies and somebody that's that's resilient enough to take the hits and still not go for the low blow in return. I will absolutely take people to the mat on policy every time, but uh, I have pledged first and foremost that I will not make my race personal. I will not attack any opponent, whether it's Roe or anyone else, um, during the actual race that uh, I, I won't make it personal. I will call him out on bad policy 10 times out of 10, but not one time ever will I bring up his personal life I don't expect the same courtesy in return, but um, it is what it is. that's that's politics these days. Um, but there was one other interesting fact that you mentioned that uh, i I think is also part of the problem here in Tennessee. You talked about our demographics and how they're specifically ninety four percent white. Um, that really sets us up big for that culture of hatred that I was talking about. people people don't spend as much time interacting. Uh, with folks that have a little bit more melanin and that sort of isolates them um, from really having any knowledge of, of what these people are actually like. And, and they just don't understand a lot of times that these kind of people aren't what they see in here on Fox news. They are just normal folks like you and me, and they have, dreams and desires, and they just want to live and be happy like anybody else. And it's important that, especially now, more than ever in our nation's history, uh, or at least in the last about 100 years of our nation's history, that we come together rather than trying to push one another apart and and really drive that wedge in between everybody. Um, so I, I don't want to talk down to anybody, uh, especially Trump's voters around here. Um, and there's one real easy, simple reason for that, because I don't think they're the problem. I think that their attitude is a symptom of the bigger problem, which is just how much we've seen politicians use hatred and lies and and all of this to just stoke the flames and and really drive people further apart for the explicit purpose of gaining a political advantage. And that's not right. Um, I hope. It, I addressed all facets of your question. I was uh, trying to take short, quick notes as much as I could uh, while we were talking. But um, if I missed anything, please uh, hold me to that.
0: No, and I, I want to say, Chris, I think it's admirable that you are taking on this fight. Most people wouldn't go near this district. I'm amazed this guy's ever had a Democratic opponent. Uh, to win your district by 78% of the vote is. Uh, Amazing. And for you to step up to the plate and take on this race, I think it is nothing short of heroic because you're exposing yourself to so much vitriol and so much pushback uh, by people and their assumptions and all that, that. You're taking one for the team. You know, you're stepping out there and you're willing to knock on doors. You're willing to go to meetings and talk to people and you take the whole Democratic Party with you right? It's might as well be Nancy Pelosi knocking on people's doors if you're out there as a Democrat. So I, I applaud you. I think it's brave. And, and I and think actually, it's, I, I hate yeah. to interrupt you, but uh, sure.
1: you mentioned Nancy Pelosi and this, that, uh, um, actually got me thinking about one specific event real early in this campaign. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I told my grandmother that I was running as a Democrat and, um, she told me to my face that she wasn't going to vote for me because I was going to be Nancy Pelosi's best friend and I was going to go fall in line with her. And um, that, uh,
0: <laughs> that was an interesting experience, I'll tell you what. You guys hear that? His own grandmother's not going to vote for him. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that is what I'm talking about. That is the, the, um, what you're willing to take on. You're willing to create strife within your own family to do this. And I appreciate that, man, because it's not just Tennessee's first district that you're standing up for. It's all of us. It's all of us who believe in these, this ideology. So I appreciate it. And I just wanted to make that clear. I, I didn't want to um, poke fun. Oh, I think we've, uh, Oh, you're still there. Okay, great. Um, The other challenge I want to ask you about Chris was voter ID. Um, How much of a hindrance do you think that is? Um,
1: Voter ID specifically by itself and on its face isn't a huge hindrance. But the big problem with that is it ties into a lot of other really um, dodgy and, and voter suppression style tactics, which include... The strategic closing of DMVs and things like that—places where you could get voter IDs—include specific requirements that a lot of people just aren't going to uh, aren't going to have to bring for documentation for the DMV. I actually, uh, when I first moved back here, back here, had to make three separate trips to the DMV in order to get my driver's license. And uh-huh. I mean, yeah, I uh, I am a Tennessee native. I had a Tennessee driver's license that expired about a year before I moved back here which um, was only an issue that came up because I was in the military for so long. Uh, So, you know, one thing led to another. And then I, uh, I came back here and I I had to deal with all that issue. um, When I was trying to get my own driver's license and that's, I, I have all of these bills and things coming in that I had to deal with. And I just had to you know wait for one of them to show up and then it wasn't the right one. And then I had to get, you know, a specific like utility bill to bring in for them. And it was, it was a whole mess. Um, So the short answer is they are a problem, but not because of what they are, because of how they're used.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just get a lot of people who come in to my stream and talk to me about voter ID saying, you want to solve the problem of voting in this country, just instill, install voter ID everywhere. And it's like, no, that's a voter suppression tactic. And so I was curious to hear your experience. So here's a Tennessee native, had to go three times to get his own driver's license. So imagine if you're somebody, a single parent, got a couple kids and and you take the bus to work. I mean, you, would, you just wouldn't even bother. You know what I mean? And so it, it's interesting to hear. Uh, a story like that. Cause I live in at Los Angeles where I just walk up to the polling place and tell them my name and address and they, you know, I go on with my day. So right. let me ask, let me ask you here. Um, well, I guess then just to ask you, just to pin, uh, to put a pin on that, um, how does a Democrat win then? I mean, is it just going door to door and um, debunking the myth of what Democrats are or just explaining your policy in a way to people that they haven't heard before? What, what do you think that other Democrats haven't done that you will be doing to make a difference there?
1: Um, honestly, I, I think we've seen from a lot of Democrats is is a lot of resentment, like I said, towards specifically Trump's voting base and and really trying to 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 alienate them in an effort to bring in the votes and and bring their attention to the fact that there are problems. Um and I just don't believe that's the right strategy. And we need to bring them in and and help them understand that we're not this evil demon that they see portrayed in the media all the time. I mean I I expect to be working a large part of this campaign to Sort of make progress in that regard. Um, I, I mentioned, uh, you know, part of my family earlier, but it's it's not just one part of my family. It's it's multiple people that have been historically just straight line Republican voters and are huge Trump supporters right now. That I've I've had to sit down with and have these one on one conversations to discuss. Like these are exactly the things that I want to address. These are the problems that I see, and this is how I want to fix them uh, in order to to help them understand that. I'm not trying to take anything away from you. I don't want to take anything away from you, especially the folks that are, you know, really scraping by in the first place. I don't believe that taking more away from them is going to help anyone. I want to give more especially to the lower class folks and start making the people that are really rich really pay their fair share. They've they've benefited disproportionately from the system. It's time they they start giving something back. I mean, we've got these people making you know, hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in profit, paying zero dollars in federal taxes, and that's doing nothing but take away from the folks that are paying their fair share and working hard all day, every day, just to try and put food on the table, or in my father's case, to not be homeless. Um, and it's really going to take a whole lot of working directly with these people and, and sitting down and going out to places that you wouldn't normally see a Democratic candidate show up to and, and n- not be afraid to show face in front of them and, and talk to them like normal human beings because that's exactly what they are. There's people that are afraid and people that are upset and tired of what they see as a broken system and showing them that I'm here to help fix it. And I, I don't know that there's a whole lot that can be done outside of just leveling with them and, and talking to them like normal human beings.
0: Yeah, no, I like this strategy. I mean, I do something similar myself, though I'm not running for office. It's, you know, yelling and flipping each other off is not going to solve the problem. You know, we got to talk and listen to one another. And I think most people just want to be heard. So I I dig it. And I think you'll see plenty of success with that that personal connection. It's the Beto strategy, where he went to every single district in Texas, no matter how red, and talked to people. And he almost beat Ted Cruz, arguably the second most popular Republican in their party uh, in Texas. So, um, the guy lost by 2.6%. So, I think it, it is a strategy that can work for sure. Let me ask you the next question here. Um, why, why did you choose to run for this office? There's so many things you could run for. Um, you could start smaller, city council. You could run for um, a ton of stuff. So, what made you pick Congress and this, you know, this obviously this seat, because it sounds like it represents the area where your family's from. But what made you run for Congress out of all things you could run for? Um, that was actually
1: a combination of of a number of different factors that uh, sort of coming together in in one big perfect storm of of this is the seat to choose. Um, and that was one, obviously we're we're looking at a a pretty heavy shift towards blue for the majority of the country. Um, two, we've had you know the incumbent in there for six terms now. Uh, i've my family has actually uh, known him or at least um and been passing uh for a long time so i've i've been aware of him and, and followed him and his politics since uh early in his tenure and watched him turn from somebody who i actually believed had principles and and would vote and do the right thing regardless of party into someone who falls in line and walks lockstep with Trump and just spouts the exact same prepared talking points, um, and that's actually something that I ran into in a town hall that he hosted a few days ago, uh, which I'd love to talk to uh, talk about uh, a little bit later, but that's, uh, that's for later in the discussion. Um, but I I sort of watched him, uh, not exactly fall from grace, but fall from a place of of dignity and and honor into a place where he just kind of did whatever he felt like doing and whatever would make him the most money. Uh, So he made himself the candidate to be replaced. Uh, And obviously uh, I didn't see anybody else stepping up to it. Uh, I I spoke to the gentleman who actually ran in 2018 and he expressed a pretty significant disinterest in, in making the run again. And I couldn't really blame him for doing so. But uh, basically, for lack of anybody else with the spirit and the right attitude to do so, I chose this.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating to hear that there are not other people interested. Um, you know, I live right by Orange County, California, which seven districts flipped from red to blue. And they've been red for 30 years, some of these districts. And there was like eight candidates running. For the Democratic seat, you know, they almost didn't get on the ballot because there were so many Democrats. And here in California, we had the jungle primary where the top two vote getters get on the ballot. So there were only two, you know, like one or two Republicans, the incumbent, and maybe another guy, and they almost edged out all the Democrats. So it is fascinating for me to hear that nobody else wants to run, um, and it, it's just so interesting. Um, so that's why I understand why you re- you're running because nobody else has the guts I guess or the time or or the um the platform to run so that's awesome that leads me to my next question what is it like to run for office in 2019 i saw that you're involved with act uh act blue which is i'm assuming where donations come in from but what is it like to be a candidate in 2019 especially in a when you're you're the you're the guy who's going to be on the ballot so you can get the national party behind you already and i mean you know, like, so what is your experience like? Um, well, actually, uh, you, you mentioned
1: the National Party, and it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because uh, this district, especially in Tennessee, it doesn't see a lot of action from the National Party. It's, it's going to take a lot of, of grunt work and, and really generating momentum uh, on my own and with the resources that I can muster by myself mm. to, uh, to start getting them on board. Because to be frank, the National Party just doesn't see this seat as one worth fighting for um which is a, really a huge problem caused by the way our current electoral system works in the first place um but that's that's again a question for another time uh you know electoral reform and and making sure that we get rid of this first past the post system start getting some ranked choice voting uh that sort of thing but um what it's actually like the day-to-day it's uh it's kind of brutal um i mean Uh, the biggest thing that has been difficult for me to adjust to is I get all this time to stand up in front of people and tell them about all these great policies that I want to push if I can get elected and all these things that I want to do to help them. And I'm talking to folks that I know are already hurting and really just desperately need whatever money that they can get their hands on. But in order to have a chance of, even having any success in this uh, race, I have to then turn around and tell them, all right, now that I've told you how much you need your money and how much you need more, I need you to give me every dime that you can spare because otherwise I can't do anything for you. And the only thing that I can give you in return is a promise that I will do my best. And it's, it is heartbreaking to have to stand in front of people and and have that discussion. Mm. Uh,
0: It's, I, I can't even really put it into words. It's just, it's, it's rough. Yeah. I could see that people pouring their hearts out to you, telling you how terrible of a situation they're in. And then you're like, well, I need you to donate to me and help. If you want me to help you, I, you've got to donate. And I could see that's, you know, some people, you know, five bucks, 10 bucks is that's skipping a meal, you know? Right. And that's, that's a very real thing.
1: Like I, uh, I've, said it before i'm sure i'll say it many more times uh i've i financed the first month or so of this campaign straight out of pocket uh just to try and get things off the ground but i literally couldn't afford more than that because every spare dime that i've got goes to my father um Mm. because as he gets worse or and uh as he spends all this time at the doctors now that we finally got him some kind of coverage medical bills start to pile up and there's still house payments. There's still utility bills. There's still you know a hundred other things that come along, and with him working less because he's going to the doctor, he's making less money. So somebody's got to close the gap and help pay the yeah. uh, the medical bills. It's it's a difficult balancing act and one that I struggle with every day of my life. So I know you know in my heart exactly what these guys are going through because I'm going through the same thing, but I still have to ask them.
0: To give it to me, nonetheless. Yeah, it's it's a strange part of running for office that you have to raise money if you want to have any impact, um, because you, you know uh, the Republican opponent is going to be spending it, you know, money as well. It's right. and it's, it's um, a shame to hear that the National Party doesn't even want doesn't even have a plan for you at all. Like I get it, it's 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 a it's a long shot, but you could also have a huge impact uh, by going into a place like that, that doesn't get a lot of attention.
1: Right. Um, and that was, uh, to be quite honest, that was a situation that I was prepared for from the, the moment I made the decision to run in such a heavily red district. Um, and uh, when they came out and, and basically told me that in as many words, I, I wasn't surprised, uh, but I was obviously Saddened to hear that they just they just don't care uh, or n- not necessarily don't care that was poor phrasing they don't they don't have the extra resources to spare on something that they don't think is winnable um, and so I have to I it it falls on me to really generate the momentum to start getting the dollars rolling and to start getting the folks on my side by myself uh, which is exactly what I signed up for um, and. My hope is to start making that progress and, and generating that level of attention that's going to make them sort of reconsider and believe that maybe this is something that they can win. Yeah. And uh, if, if we don't start making momentum ourselves, uh, if we don't get people that are are willing to fight in spite of that, they're just going to abandon Tennessee entirely and, and, that's, that's not what I want to see. That's not what I want to see happen with my home. I was literally born, you know, 15 miles from where I sit right now.
0: Yeah, no, I feel it. I, I can, I feel your passion for it. And, and, um, and I get it you know if if you don't do it if you don't try then nobody's going to and everybody will just give up on it and we don't want to see that i have one last question about this topic and then i promise i'm moving on to some issues um what did the la you said you spoke to the guy who ran last and he took quite a beating what did he tell you he's obviously not running but like what was what was something he told you like what did you take away from that conversation
1: um i he felt a lot of frustration in, in specifically dealing with both the, uh, the state and the national party. Um, and that was, that was the biggest sort of sentiment that I got from him. And, um, it, it's really unfortunate that that was, that was severe enough for him that it, it just soured him to the whole prospect of running as a Democrat. But, um, I mean, it, it wasn't really something that I didn't know to begin with, uh, especially when when I was starting this process. I called the state party to figure out, you know, what I needed to do to run as a Democrat in Tennessee. And they were like, well, uh, I mean, go for it, I guess. But uh, you're kind of on your own. We, yeah, it was, it, I can't remember the exact phrasing that he used, but the, uh, the short version of it translated into about that.
0: yikes i got you all right let's let's jump into some issues here because you are in tennessee so you're a different kind of democrat than most people would expect i would assume um i saw that you have a a unique position on guns uh definitely unique for someone like me in california so uh what are your thoughts on on current gun laws right now where do you stand on that um uh, it's,
1: it's interesting that, uh, that you want to start there, but, um, <laughs> it is going to be one of the more volatile topics. So I've, I've gone out of my way to, uh, to try and choose my words very carefully in this subject, because I know it's, it is a very touchy issue for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I am myself a gun owner. I had a concealed carry permit. I still have it sitting in my wallet, but it's not valid here in Tennessee because it's just, I've moved and it's not a Tennessee permit. Um, So I, I do believe in a strong second amendment, but the caveat to that is I don't believe in completely unregulated, uh, guns. I think that what we need to do is start making sure that we're keeping all guns out of the hands of people that are going to be a problem rather than some guns out of the hands of everybody. Uh, I've, I've made clear that I don't support further bans over what we already have. Um, and that's, that's one simple reason. Uh, people talk about assault weapons bans. And I, I find that to be kind of a, a meaningless descriptor in today's world of guns. Um, all actual like burst fire and automatic weapons uh, aren't manufactured for civilian use or sale anymore anyway. So when we start drawing a line between different semi-automatic weapons yes some are are have different characteristics and and operate slightly differently but the bottom line is one trigger pull fires one round of ammunition and the ones that people want to ban as assault weapons account for 4% of the problem while people account for 100% of the problem so <laughs> yeah so when we uh when we start passing some regulations like red flag laws like background checks for everyone uh like including personal sales i mean we need to start making regulations that make sense without infringing on the second amendment as interpreted by the supreme court of the united states and i believe that we can accomplish that and we can effectively reduce gun violence without curtailing people's rights
0: I gotcha. Yeah, and I I didn't mean to give that to you as a gotcha or anything like that. I just saw that you took that position, so I wanted to hear your explanation for it. And and I I have the same thoughts on it. I don't own a gun myself. I'm not around guns, but I understand other parts of the country, gun culture is prevalent. And so I always say, I don't have a problem with guns. I have a problem with gun laws. And I think we can do some work there to correct that. Um, But I imagine gun rights and gun laws is a big topic down there. That's why I bring it up. Um, Let me put you on the spot. Do you think you would have voted for the Violence Against Women Act that was recently passed in the House? I absolutely would have. Um, And uh, it's
1: funny that you ask about that specifically, because my uh, incumbent, one Dr. Philro specifically voted against it. And I I made it a point to call him out on it because it it enacts some of the kinds of things that I believe should be constant and that includes barring convicted domestic abusers of from having uh, firearms. Uh, I mean that that first and foremost should be just a given as far as I'm concerned. You've you've shown yourself to be irresponsible when it comes to violence in the first place. Why do we need to give you something? that's going to make your life easier in that respect. You, you can't be responsible not to swing at somebody that you're supposed to be in a relationship with and really care about. Why would we
0: trust you to not do so with someone that you don't care about or don't know? Right. It, it's an interesting bill. And from what I understand, the Republican opposition to it was basically the NRA's position that uh, even a misdemeanor even being charged with a misdemeanor um, could prevent you from owning a gun in the future. And that's why people are really against it. Now, do you think taking that position will get you a nice big fat F from the NRA? I honestly, I don't really care what rating the NRA would give me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my
1: views. They're not funded by anyone, uh, NRA or otherwise. I, I have looked into it. I've researched you know what causes violence and, and what we can do to stop it in a sensible fashion. And um, I actually do know that it wouldn't benefit me at all with the NRA to say that I would have voted in favor of that bill because they were specifically calling around to both congressmen and senators to let them know that their rating would be negatively impacted if they voted in favor of this bill. So yeah. it's, it's not a question of would it negatively impact me because it, it just does. Um, and that I am on the record stating that I believe that it's something that should have passed is not going to win me any points with them. And, and to be frank, that doesn't make a difference to
0: me. Uh, it's, it's the right thing to do. And that's all there is to it. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm in agreement with you. Um, let's jump to healthcare. Uh, are you on board for the single payer or are you going for two-payer like some of the more centrists are saying where Medicare for All will eventually consume that private market?
1: Um I am of the belief that single payer Medicare for all is just the right answer in a very immediate sense. Um I know that there are some people that are a lot less inclined to to make that big leap, but When we talk about it, we talk about the damage that it's going to do to private insurance companies and, and things like that. But people seem to have an issue with making it clear that private insurance companies are literally an industry motivated by profiting from human suffering. Like that's, that's the entire purpose of their existence. They make money because you are injured because people get injured. And the rest of the world has caught on that that's not a humane and appropriate model for healthcare. Um, It's just a fact that healthcare is a human right and we need to catch up to literally every other industrialized nation in that respect. Um, That being said, private insurance exists in other countries, health insurance included. It's just not something that's necessary for people to avoid bankruptcy, which uh, for anybody keeping score is the number one cause of bankruptcy across the country. We could literally eliminate that
0: by passing a Medicare for all provision tomorrow. Wow. I haven't heard that statistic yet, but I believe it. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to be bankrupt by my dog's medical bills. I couldn't imagine a human. Last question then on uh, policy. Uh, immigration seems to be a big topic down there in Tennessee. I saw some headlines that the incumbent uh, Roe uh, was saying, we got a big problem, big influx of immigrants. Um, again, that district, 94% white, as you mentioned, they're not really mixing it up with other people. So they're kind of you know, uh, buying into the stories other people are telling them. Um, what, what is your district's thoughts on immigration? And, and I feel like, Even, I'm assuming I know your thoughts on what's going on with the southern border. Um, Well, I shouldn't say I assume, but um, I'm sure, and correct me if I'm wrong, you would say it's a humanitarian crisis, and uh, yes, we want secure borders, but uh, perhaps building a wall, not the best use of our money. Um, uh, But you represent, you would represent these 700,000 people that may feel otherwise. So how does that shape your position on immigration? Um, well, uh,
1: that's actually really interesting uh, and a difficult question to address. But uh, you mentioned uh, my incumbent's positions on it, and and that actually brings me back around to the town hall that I mentioned earlier. He held a town hall specifically on immigration earlier this week, uh, wherein, and I'm going to paraphrase here. I actually took almost two full pages of notes on the uh, the misrepresentations he made of our southern border situation and it's going to affect Tennessee citizens. Um, First, he talked about how we should be worried about people coming from across the border in Mexico and bringing diseases with them, which they then communicate to American citizens. Uh, What he did not do is mention that that has literally never happened in the history of America, period. What has happened in the history of America, as in right now, is we have people catching measles and things like that from outbreaks of of folks just refusing to vaccinate their children. Mm. That is the health crisis. So I'm going to go ahead and throw that argument just right out the window. Um, but uh, beyond that, he mentioned that we were heard on judges and Border Patrol agents. What he did not mention was that there was a, and, and I was actually uh, a little bit off on the number, but He held this meeting in a courtroom and I couldn't double check it because I had to leave my phone outside. So I I misquoted the number, but not substantially enough to make a difference because there was about $360 million allocated for a company to hire 7,500 Customs and Border Patrol agents. This is a bill that I support. I am okay with us hiring more CBP agents because the border needs to be secure and we need to make sure that we're not getting a bunch of illegal immigrants for no reason. But this company that had been hired for the sum of $360 million in the span of this um, contract that they'd been given. They were supposed to hire 7,500, they hired fewer than 20, not even 20 of these 7,500 agents. So I asked him why and uh, in, instead of supporting this uh, national emergency declaration and, and beating that drum and, and demanding that we build the wall, why he didn't start tracking down this three uh, this huge sum of money that we've already you know set to invest in it and got it laid out there for the specific reason of making our border secure why he didn't track that down instead of uh, dealing with the national emergency and things like that and voting on in line with that and his response to me was to pull up a prepared list of other national emergencies that presidents have declared how many there were and what they were and things like that. Uh, at which point I, I told them that my question had nothing to do with the emergency powers act had nothing to do with the president having a legal right or not having a legal right to declare a national emergency. It was why he didn't check this before signing on with the national emergency, at which point he had his little, uh, lackey next to him. Tell me that I needed to, uh, Basically, sit down and shut up and let him read his prepared talking point. Um, but uh, in general, um, the the perception of my district, it, it's I I try to temper my uh, my speech with respect to the immigration issue, but ultimately, it is absolutely a humanitarian issue. And we need to make sure that we're doing things in a humane and correct fashion. Uh, and that doesn't mean locking people up in, uh, effectively little fenced in tent cities and paying over $1.4 billion more than we should be to handle these folks through the system just for the sake of, of having that little tent city to show off to your voters. I mean, that's, that's, wrong it is a horrible way to treat folks and uh the best thing that i can say to to folks that believe that this is the right the right way to treat people for any reason is a lot of them claim to be bible thumpers and and believe in christ and you know want to do things in a christly manner but they don't seem to remember one critical phrase as it relates to the bible do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And I know I, for one, would not want to run away from violence in my own country and desperately come to a border, surrender myself to their agents in a legal fashion, ask for asylum from violence in my own country in accordance with that country's laws, and then be locked in a cage and treated like an animal. And that's,
0: that's all there is to it. It's, it's pretty simple to me. You should be treating people right. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. Um I guess it's just an appeal, it's just telling people, uh, look, look at it a different way. And uh I wish we did have more empathy in our leadership current leadership right now, uh, instead of just trying to build a structure to ignore it or build something to obscure it, you know what I mean? So I hear you so uh, I'm gonna ask one last question so let me say this in the chat now if you guys have questions for Chris I hope you do Uh, this is an awesome opportunity to talk to the Democratic candidate doesn't sound like anybody else is gonna run so he's gonna be on the ballot uh, against the Republican in this district so great opportunity to ask him questions Uh, my last question Chris because I I talk politics on here and but my ultimate goal isn't just to entertain and have fun talking politics. Um, it's to learn and also to, to show people what they can do about it. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the interview, that I see people running for office as the ultimate activist. So um, my question for you would be, what advice do you have for people who are considering running for office? Um, well, uh, it's, that's an interesting question,
1: but uh, the the best thing I would say is, just do it. Um, figure out, you know what what party you feel has most represented your values traditionally. Call your state party office and just ask them what it takes to get on the ballot representing that party. and they'll be able to provide you direction. I mean, I know I mentioned I called my state party and and they basically said, just you know, get enough people to vote for you as a Democrat, and you're good to go. Um. So it was pretty straightforward here in Tennessee, but I, each state party has its own requirements. Um, and the long and the short it is, I would say, just do it. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of work involved. I'll tell you that up front. It's, I've spent more time reading through, uh, just pages and pages of legal documents and and rules and regulations requirements and things like that, uh, than I ever thought I would have in my entire adult life. But, um, uh, so far, it's been worth it. It's been a really rewarding experience. I've I've met a lot of folks that I, I really hope I get the chance to represent. They've been just amazing folks, even the ones that I don't agree with. I actually, uh, shortly before I came on here, had myself called a, uh, uh, a liar, a liberal leftist, a, uh, a couple other things. Um, but even these people, these ones that that believe so wholeheartedly that a d next to my name makes me evil i i believe that the interaction with them is uh is rewarding because i can i get a chance to to talk to them and show them that just because you see something on the news doesn't necessarily mean it's who i am or what i am i can erect i can interact with you directly and show you that i'm a human being i am your neighbor your friend your son uh and sort of clear up some of the mythos that that surrounds politicians um and being able to represent yourself as a politician is is really interesting and it's it's made for a a unique perspective um just to see the way that you're treated when somebody uh when somebody knows that you have that title associated with yourself. And they'll, they'll say a lot of things to you that they wouldn't otherwise. Um, and you learn a lot about both yourself and the folks around you when you do so.
0: What an awesome answer, I love it. Very positive, it sounds like a rewarding experience and I appreciate you sharing that with us. So let's take a few questions here. Mr. SquarePeg says, what are you going to do to bring good well-paying jobs to Tennessee One? Um. That is uh, a
1: very difficult question. I know uh, right now Tennessee is, is struggling because we just don't have a lot of the infrastructure in place for a lot of the jobs that are really blowing up right now, uh, which, which tend to be um, in the information technology industry. Uh, we have just tons and tons of jobs there uh, or with automation coming up. we We have folks that, are going to need the qualifications to be uh, sort of supervising these automation jobs rather than working in a factory like they have traditionally. Um, And that's, that's going to be a big hill for us to climb. But the answer to that is that I, I will one support jobs to, to help develop our, or excuse me, support policies to help develop our infrastructure uh, and particularly uh, getting a getting rid of some of our anti-competitive uh, laws with respect to ISPs. Uh, I know Tennessee specifically uh, passed one, I, I want to say it was in 2015. Uh, it might've been a year or two north or south of that. Um, but it heavily restricted the ability of independent ISPs to launch and thrive in Tennessee. And that's that's really cut down on the quality of service that people have access to around here. And that has really bogged us down uh, in terms of development technologically. But uh, beyond that, I, I, I want to support education reforms and funding both technical schools and college with public funds and, and making them a lot more affordable, if not free, for the population at large so that everybody can afford to go to college and not just the folks who happen to be lucky enough to make enough money. Or everybody can go to tech school and and learn a vocation of their choice
0: And not have to worry about how they're going to put
1: food on the table in the meantime.
0: Gotcha. Disillusion said, great to hear you aren't taking PAC money. Has anyone approached you offering PAC money? Um, To be clear, uh,
1: no corporate PAC
0: money. uh, Not no PAC money,
1: period. That means I'm not going to be taking money from, you know, oil companies, pharmaceutical companies, things like that. I, I will take it from grassroots activist PACs. Uh, in particular, I've been approached by, um, a, a, well, I'm not going to name names because nothing has happened. Uh, and I don't want to burn some bridges before I even get a chance to cross them. Um, but I have been approached by a few groups, none of them uh, corporate lobbying folks. And that's probably because I've I've gone out of my way to make it clear that I will not be accepting money from them. Um, and that's, that's a plan that I intend to stick by.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Uh, Coop DeJour said, question for Chris, how do you get the message across about healthcare to a Republican base? Uh,
1: That one is is a little bit more difficult. Um, Interestingly, I I had a great test case to start with in my family uh, where I just had the chance to address my father specifically and, and his situation and how they had that personal experience, just as I did seeing him deteriorate and knowing what kind of man he is, it it gave me a chance to work around the myth that folks that want universal healthcare are the ones that don't work and don't, uh, you know, don't do anything to get that benefit. They just want free healthcare period. Um, so it's, it's, I don't want to say it's good because it's still tragic that, uh, you know, it, it took my father getting to that point, um, for me to, to realize just how urgent this was and and how bad we needed somebody to represent that angle. Um, but it's, it's been a great perspective for me to have, uh, with that personal experience of, you know, somebody that's worked for literally their entire lives and just can't anymore, physically cannot, um, and, and have, you know, that, that sort of shared experience that a lot of folks in Tennessee have uh, that I can bring to them and and make clear that I'm not looking to fight for just these folks that want to sit on the corner and get handouts and get whatever they can given to them. I want to fight for the folks that simply can't fight for themselves anymore.
0: Gotcha. yeah, it's a it's a huge issue. And I mean, we saw Bernie Sanders get cheered by at a Fox News town hall over Medicare and healthcare and Medicare for all. So um it's it's an issue all over the country. I mean it's it's pretty wild. Hikari said Hikari Faith said thoughts on the slate of hate. I think Hikari, do you mean the state of hate in America? Uh no, no it's it's the slate of hate. It's uh it's what is that?
1: a colloquial um shorthand for a handful of different bills. Give me
0: just a second. Ah Interesting. Hikari doing some research. Nice. Um but uh the long and the short of it is
1: the Tennessee state legislature has been passing um a lot of bills that have come together to be known as the slate of hate and they're very heavily um anti LGBTQ, um anti women, uh just just a lot of really regressive kind of bills. Um, that they want to champion as, as providing uh, the ability for uh, small businesses and things like that to have freedom of choice over who they, uh, they serve. But what they really are, are basically freedoms to discriminate against pretty much whoever they want, and then just claim religious freedom. Um, and it's uh without getting too into the weeds about the specific policies that have been passed, it's, it's, like I said, very heavily regressive and not something that I feel like is a good look for Tennessee. Um, We need, if we're ever going to start developing forward, it's, it's going to take shutting down these kinds of bills along with a lot of the reforms that I was talking about before, like opening up the infrastructure development and getting people trained and, and educated for the kinds of jobs that we're going to see and need in the future, it's it's not so simple as just one magic wand fix. But it's also not something that we need to be actively working against, and that's what we're seeing in the uh, in the legislature right now.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, regression seems to be the key word there fog uh, raw Gaming said, "What's his thoughts on climate change, and what would he do about it if he isn't a climate denier?" I'm assuming you're not a climate change denier, Chris. <laughs> um, I I am not, and
1: uh, I I don't know that uh, that climate change is something that really merits having thoughts on. Uh, somebody actually asked me that in your channel when I first uh, when I first joined last night or night before. Um, but uh, it's, it's just not worth having thoughts on. It's, we have facts. Facts are important because they just exist. It doesn't matter what we think of them, what they make us feel, they simply are. And the fact of the matter is we've had a coalition of the world's smartest minds come together and conclude that we have 11 years and change to turn things around in a real big way or else we hit a point where we're gonna fall off the edge change becomes irreversible and the end result is everybody dies. The fact that this is a matter of any serious debate in our public forums right now is, it's just mind boggling to me. I don't understand. Like I I get that people are rich and want to get richer at anyone else's expense, but I don't understand how they could continue to do so when they know it's going to end in them losing too it doesn't make sense to me and we need to enact policies that first of all, start shifting our reliance away from fossil fuels. One of the biggest contributors to um, carbon and greenhouse gas emissions anywhere and get us into some green renewable energy. I mean, uh, in Tennessee specifically, we have the Boone dam, which is uh, really kind of falling behind where it should be, but it's a huge hydroelectric power source uh, in the area. Um, But you know, we have hydroelectric as an option with all the waterways. Uh, we have wind as an option. We've got a lot of open plains. I mean, there's, there's so many developing green technologies for energy that it doesn't make sense how many people still want to rely on fossil fuels for any, reason, for any reason other than making more money. And making more money is not something that I feel like justifies risking the entirety of the human population for
0: I would agree with you on that one. Let's do one last question. Excuse my sarcasm said, did Chris read the Mueller report, and or is he planning on reading it?
1: Um, I, I did, and I didn't. I'm uh, in the process of doing so still i've I've consumed a huge chunk of the Mueller report over the last few days, and it's I, quite frankly, it's just an avalanche of information and and a huge amount to take in and digest. Um, I was uh, really saddened to see uh, Phil Rowe, the incumbent, about uh, almost immediately after the report dropped both to Congress and the public uh, come out and say, yeah, reports out, no collusion, and that was it. Um, I I don't believe that was the right answer. Um, If for no other reason than No matter what you believe about anything else in the report, it makes it very clear and explicit that we have had foreign hostile actors working to actively undermine our democracy and our sovereignty, and that should be scary to anybody. I don't care who won in the end, the fact that a foreign power was able to conclusively influence our elections, regardless of what degree it was, that influence was there, and that should scare anyone. That should that should not be a partisan issue. It's just a problem, and we need to address it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm shocked to see a lack of conversation about that. uh How we address it, I guess people think, well, we just put some sanctions on them, and now it's all problem solved, guys. Time to move on. But um so I appreciate you answering all these questions, Chris. I'm gonna say if anybody else has questions, I saw a few more pop up, but I don't want to take up too much of Chris's time. Um, is it okay if they? Uh, Tag you in the discord and ask you any questions Chris because I saw you did join our discord
1: Um, Yes, absolutely Uh, feel free to reach out to me um, and I I won't promise an Immediate or even necessarily prompt response, but as I get a chance I will uh, I'll go back and and interact with folks uh, on your server and and talk to them as, as much as they like while I've got the opportunity
0: sure And let me uh, begin wrapping this up here by saying, Chris, thank you so much for coming on here and chatting with me and everybody in this community. Uh, We love talking about politics and the bills, the elected officials. So this is a real treat for me to get to ask you some questions. And again, I really uh, tip my hat to you for being someone willing to run in such a difficult district. It's not an easy challenge. Uh, You took on one of the toughest districts in the nation. I want to remind people, this is an r plus 28 district. I mean, that is about as hard as it gets. Uh, And um, so he's he's taking quite a challenge on himself. And I'm confident, Chris, that you will get your grandma's vote in the end. (laughs) Uh, He's hoping anyway, right? (laughs) Where can everybody connect with you? What's your Twitter? What other social media are you using? What's your website? Please tell everybody how they can find you and help out.
1: Oh yeah, time for the plug. Excellent. Please, please. I am on Twitter at Chris for TN1. Uh, that's probably the, the easiest and most efficient way to get a hold of me. I, uh, it's really easy to, to whip out the phone no matter what I'm doing and, and just uh, shoot a message back to somebody. Um, I also have a Facebook page. It's uh, at Chris for TN uh, or Chris Rowe for Congress 2020. Um, and then I also have an actual campaign website we're working on building a new one should be up by the end of the month, but for now it's, uh, it's still up and running on the old domain at chrisrowforcongress.com. Um, I do have a donation link there and I would uh, love anything that you guys can do to help out. Or if anybody in the Tennessee area wants to, uh, wants to volunteer, I also have that as an option. Or if anybody just wants to get news, uh, you can sign up for the newsletter and you'll get, uh, you'll get everything that we pushed everybody else on the mailing list.
0: Awesome. And so just to make sure everybody knows that Twitter is Chris4TN1 with the word for spelled out, right? Correct. Okay, Chris4TN1. Give the man a follow on Twitter. You can support from a distance, folks. You don't have to be in the district. You can contribute. Um, you know, you can spread the message, retweet, all that kind of stuff to help out. So Chris, again, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, and it's definitely been great chatting with you. What a fantastic interview that was with Chris. I really appreciate him coming on our show, talking to us about what it's like to run for Congress in 2019. And this guy took on a challenge, R plus 28 district. I can't wait to see what happens on election night. We'll be watching the results come in live on this stream. And if you wanna hang out with us and talk politics, I'm streaming three days a week right now, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 4 p.m. Pacific time. We'd love to have you there, twitch.tv slash I'm really important. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. I will see you all in the next episode. Have a good one.